It is Tuesday, September 7th, 2021, and this is episode number six of the Hit By Podcast. We're well into September baseball now, and what do you know? The Chicago Cubs heated up a little bit. Don't look now. Only 10 games out of a wild card spot. We'll half-heartedly discuss the Cubs and, of course, get you caught up on all the happenings down on the south side of Chicago as well. But the real action is elsewhere in baseball. The Dodgers-Giants series over the weekend lived up to the hype. And then over in the AL East, the Yankees are have fallen on hard times after their long win streak. And all of a sudden, the Blue Jays are surging. We'll break down that division for you. The Reds are slipping. The Cardinals can't make up their mind as to whether or not they're a contender. And the Padres are back in possession of a wild card spot. We'll talk about that NL wild card race as well. And other musings around baseball, Albert Pujols returns to St. Louis, how we both don't like the Oakland Coliseum, and Adley Rushman, uh, a good football player, as it turns out. We finally got some important baseball to talk about, Larry. Uh, this is episode six of the Hit by Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. Because there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos. It will be a home run. Larry, we're six weeks into this. Been breaking down baseball for a while since the trade deadline. I don't know if there's as much exciting baseball to talk about as we have uh, in the week, of, week ahead of us. Excited? Larry, how do you feel about this baseball coming up? I'm fired up. Uh, it's been an up and down day for me in terms of, of baseball. I went to turn on the White Sox game on my television down here in Peoria. And as one college kid does, you know, I sign into our, our family cable account, come to find the passwords change today. And it doesn't let me watch the White Sox. White Sox A's big series for the Sox. Try to turn it on, put a new password, put a new code, the whole nine yards. Well, let won't let me watch the Sox. And of course they're blacked out on my free MLB TV subscription. But other than that, I'm having a great day uh, outside of the Cubs loss. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the school year has really started until you have issues streaming a baseball or a football game. I feel like half of my, my first semester freshman year was setting up my direct TV, my, you know, my uh, NBC sports on the go app, all that stuff, just trying to be able to watch the same stuff. And it, it still never works. And then you got MLB blackouts on top of that. Like, finally, now that we're getting MLB TV, we can watch any game, whatever. But if we want to go to the White Sox game, even though we can, you know, prove that we have NBC Sports Chicago, we still got to go out to a different app, clear all that out. It's just a hassle. It needs to stop. Rob Manfred, what can you do for us college kids dealing with the blackout issues? We need help, man. This is a, a plea here. Rob Manfred, uh, a loyal listener of the Hit by Pod, <laughs> uh, we can only hope. But hey, that's uh, that epitomizes it, you know. And then once you finally figure out how to sign in, your internet sucks. Yeah, immediately the second that you start getting the game, it's just buffer, buffer. You're watching fuzzy football. Yes, hundred percent. But heck. You know, we haven't been able, I haven't been able to watch any of the Cubs. And of course, they're the biggest story in baseball over the last week, Lucas. Seven game win streak. You typed it out on our rundown Cubs win streak. And as soon as he did that, the Cubs lost four to three to the Reds tonight to snap that win streak at seven. You jinxed it, man. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Sorry about to the, the North Siders up there, but 
that was very impressive to see them go on after we've talked about multiple episodes, how historically bad they've been at points. And now just all of a sudden Schwindel's the MVP got like the highest, um, uh, what's the stat that's, um, ISO he's got like the highest ISO out of qualified hitters. Um, insane to see like what he's been doing offensively. And it's just, you know, so much fun to watch teams like that at times that you don't know where they're going to, um, get the runs to win these games. And then all of a sudden they just heat up. Everything's clicking. You got guys have finally coming around again this year. Um, they're playing good baseball actually, you know, and it is fun to watch. Obviously can't complain. We've talked about good, good baseball is good baseball. And then Chicago, if you got two teams playing good baseball, that's like the best case scenario. So White Sox, you know, they've been okay at times recently. Let's tune into a Cubs game, you know, see what Schwindel and uh, old Patrick Wisdom can do. You know, shoot me, but I did not watch a single game of that Cubs winning streak. Well, that's I didn't watch a single game. I listened. I listened to Pat Hughes a little bit um, because you listen to Pat Hughes and he brings the energy, you know, even if the Cubs are rebuilding or if the Cubs are in the World Series race, it sounds the same. He's got that same energy, and that's definitely what I appreciate about Mr. Hughes. And everything's exciting when you listen to him. But, I mean, the Cubs, you, t- you want to talk about finding ways to win. I mean, sure, they were playing the Pirates. They were pulling wins out of their rear end. And especially, like, Sunday with the three grand slams in a game. I mean, my goodness, that, that, was, that was awesome. Yeah, my favorite was the walk-off pop-up. It didn't yep. even leave the infield. I mean, that's just another example of embarrassingly bad plays by the Pirates that make the Cubs look really good, like that hobby play on the first baseline. Oh, team. man. Oh, I could not believe that. That was one of the all-time just bad plays, but it's so much fun to watch. And, yeah, same thing. It's just fun to watch stuff like that happen. Yeah, crazy offensive games at times, and it's just fun to watch uh, these wild-card baseball teams like the Cubs are right now. You know, it's it's really unfortunate that the the Cubs – sorry to cut you off there. The Cubs finally come up with their season-long winning streak after they trade everybody away, after, you know, the season's all put away. It goes to show you – I mean, anything can happen on any given day at the ballpark, even if the Cubs are the worst team. You know, this – all this, this winning streak, comes after people are writing columns. Is Is this the worst Chicago Cubs team ever? Probably not, and probably not by a long shot. Uh, but it's interesting what happens when a group starts to gel, they find their stride. And I think maybe if you gave that original team that's that the Cubs started the season with a few more weeks, maybe they would have hit their stride. And and honestly, I said it at the top of the show jokingly, only 10 games out of a wild card spot. Maybe if you hang on to some of those guys, maybe it's like five, maybe it's six. And sure, maybe this is wishful thinking. And in hindsight, you know, uh, I don't think that team was going to win, but you never know. Yeah, there's a few ways you can look at it because I'm thinking maybe it's a good thing that those, uh, you know, KB, the core kind of got out of there because now they're helping playoff teams uh, really compete. And um, the Cubs are still, you know, winning a few games. I don't think that they would have been a playoff team had the core stuck around. Um well, I don't think so either. I don't think that the starting pitching to do it. Yeah, right. That's obviously the biggest issue. And so, yeah, you can still get, you know, these crazy offensive bursts, these crazy fun, you know, week or two week stretches of good baseball. And you don't have, you know, the big contracts that you're going to have to deal with. Um, you got return for these guys that would have likely left. 
um, you know, you're still kind of in that same area where you're not going to make the playoffs. Well, hey, now you're getting a better draft pick than you would have. Um, you're not, you know, like I said, you're getting an actual return rather than just having these guys walk. Um, so I think it kind of maybe looks or may, it makes um, trading all these guys away. It makes it look better for the Cubs, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it, it gives fans hope a little bit. And we've we've talked about it, how, you know, you can even have fun with a rebuilding team. And this is one of those stretches where you got a, a ragtag bunch. It's good to see some guys get their chances, like Frank Schwindel, cut by the A's, I believe, or maybe the Royals. It was the A's. He played yeah, for the yeah. A's earlier this season. A contending team got cut, came to the Cubs with a chip on his shoulder. And this last week, hit 462, five homers, 12 RBIs, 1.538 OPS in six games over that Cubs winning streak. You know, 10 homers with the Cubs. That is, uh, I mean, he's playing himself into contention for the first baseman starting spot next year. Yeah, player of the week. I mean, that helps a lot. Yeah, it's so crazy to think because um, my roommate Ryan gives me shit all the time about uh, Brian Goodwin, how he's a, he couldn't even make the Pirates team and he's, and he's doing well for the White Sox. But that's just so weird to think about. You know, one example, you have Schwindel, couldn't even make a, a good team, um, goes down, gets another chance with the Cubs, and now all of a sudden he, he looks like it was a huge mistake letting him ever walk for Oakland, who could definitely use another bat like that. Whereas, you know, Goodwin didn't do well with the Pirates, you know, no real reason to, for them to sign them. They're not, he's not going to make them um, a contender by any means. So then he gets the opportunity to then come help White Sox, you know, push for the playoffs and, and compete there. So, you know, kind of similar situations, kind of opposites in a way, but just crazy to think about in baseball, you know, talent just comes from nowhere at times, it seems like. Yeah, there's no way to quantify it, but I think a, a change of scenery benefits some players so much. And that's one of those intangible things that you just really can't put your finger on. But baseball people say it all the time, and I think for good reason. Oh, the guy needs a change of scenery. A lot of that is truth. I think Kyle Schwarber maybe needed a change of scenery. Then he goes to Washington and has a really good year and then gets traded to Boston to a contending team. Um, so that's another example. Schwindel, I mean, heck. Wrigley Field going from the Oakland Coliseum to Wrigley Field is your home stadium. That's not too bad. Um, so clearly he's having a good time and the Cubs mate might have a, a first baseman uh, for next year, maybe the next year or two, because he's definitely uh, played himself into that consideration. But I think that's enough on the Cubs. I don't think they'll contend. Um, you never know. They're not eliminated yet. Looking at the the standings, that elimination number down to four. They've been staving it off, procrastinating, like a good baseball team does. Um, so how about let's go to the white the White Sox South Side. Brian Goodwin, party party. Let's all get wasted. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about there. there you seen that tweet, Brian no, Goodwin? I, I kind of does sound it like it rings a bell. Was it like one of his old tweets? Uh, yes, yes. Um, here, hold on. I'm pulling it up. I just searched, but yeah, he, he tweeted party, party, party. Let's all get wasted. And I think that's kind of the move for the white Sox right now. You know, they've been running away with this division since we talked last week, Lucas, no real developments. I mean, Lance Lynn on the DL Giolito on the DL Anderson on the, the DL, excuse me, the IL 
all those guys on the IL. New age baseball. Um, yeah, I that, that was that's on me. My bad. I think I made that mistake on last week's show again. So here we'll we'll do this over. Giolito on the IL. Lance Lynn on the IL. Tim Anderson on the IL. But other than that, no real new developments. And their last 10 games, six and four, getting the job done, still up 10 games on Cleveland. The good news, I don't think we're going to see a collapse of epic proportions. Bad news, we still haven't seen this team really turn on the Jets, so to speak. Yeah, you you nailed it. I think they've just kind of been coasting uh, a little bit of that party party. The division's kind of been in their hands for a while now, it seems. Um, it seems like they've kind of had the same 10-game 10, 10 lead since like the, the second or third month of the season. So it would have been nice to see that really grow and give you a little more confidence as a fan. But, yeah, you mentioned the pitchers on the IL. Um, that's obviously not something I want to see. But kind of touched on it last week. I think it's mostly just giving them rest, especially with Lance Lynn. He's been a workhorse all year, Cy Young candidate, um, eating up the innings like he does year in and year out, kind of what he's known for. Um, and so it's all right. I'm not, I'm not too upset with him missing a 10-day 10 10 day stint for whatever soreness issues. Same with Tim Anderson. You know, he's our spark. He's our guy. When he's playing, he's out there all the time. So it's all right. If he needs some days off, I'd much rather have him healthy. Um, interested to see what happened. I honestly haven't looked to see what, like, the reasoning. I saw the play. I was actually at the game when Giolito got hurt, but I didn't see, like, what the injury or the diagnosis was. Um, so hopefully it's not something that, you know, is going to linger. Obviously, because that starting rotation is kind of the reason that the Sox have just been hovering and not really been taking that um, big jump. Dallas Keuchel hasn't looked too high in any of his last few starts. Um, and then, you know, with Lance Lynn out there, too, you're skipping a, another start. Giolito hurt, skipping another start there. So we, we definitely need to get that starting rotation back and healthy on, and in the right direction heading into the postseason. That's definitely my number one worry right now. I think that's something that we touched on last week. You'd rather give your guys rest if you've got the ability to in September rather than completely ride them out and then they get to the first week of October and their gas tanks on E. Um, I think Tony LaRussa knows how this stuff goes, obviously being such a successful manager with Oakland and then St. Louis, you know, I, I, I dislike that Larusa hiring just as much as the next guy, but he gets it. He, he knows what a he knows what it takes to win a World Series with the team in terms of resting guys and, and guys being ready and charged up for an October surge. Because I think we talked about it last week too. How many times did we see the Cardinals just kind of have a mediocre regular season and then just turn it on, get hot over the last two weeks of the season? and then cruise their way to a World Series title. It happened twice with Tony La Russa. Um, So there's no reason that this White Sox team can't win a World Series with the talent they've got on paper. Uh, but it's just a matter of, I don't even know if it's luck, but it's just a matter of everybody being healthy. And nobody's ever healthy all at once. Uh, but it's just controlling what you can control, and I think it's a good move to rest guys like Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito when you can yeah, I think if this was more of like a, a two-and-a-half, three-game type lead, guys like T.A., he'd be out there still playing. They had touched on a few days before he went on that. You know, if he needed to play, he could take a few at-bats. If he needed to play, if this was more serious, he'd be out there. Uh, and I think thinking back um, to when we first made that La Russa hire, I thought, you know, say what you want to say. It's not 
the favorite. Um, but this is a move that tells me that the White Sox want to win a World Series this year. You're not going to get Larusa's not the the bridge manager that Ricky Renneria was. He's the guy who's got the postseason experience, who's got the specific winning a World Series experience. And um, you know, if he hasn't forgot it. it. Yeah, right. Seriously, damn, he's old. <laughs> but um, if you would have told me that you know, first week of September is done. Sox have a 10 game lead. Um, for the most part, the team's healthy. Got a Cy Young candidate, you know, two of them, honestly. If Rodon had a few more innings, I'm perfectly happy with where the Sox are at, you know, with, with LaRusa at the head of it. I'm, I have a little bit more confidence just knowing that he's that type of manager who's been there before. For sure. For sure. And sure, he's had his ups and downs in terms of on-field stuff. We, we won't mention off the field right now. That's well-documented in terms of managing bullpens and stuff like that. I would say it's pretty hard to mismanage a bullpen. If you've got Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks on the back end, you got Ryan Tapera in the middle. He's been really, really good since coming to the White Sox um, after a, an initial rough start. Um, so if I'm a White Sox fan, again, I'm confident, cautiously optimistic. So kind of holding my breath on everything falling into place because, again, man, if, if they don't at least make the CS, I think this year can be written off as a complete failure. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think I, you know, I would want this young core to get experience like that. You know, the, the Cubs had that great um, NLCS against the, the Mets the year before. I believe it was the CS, right? Not the NLDS. Um. In 2015? Cubs made it to the CS and lost to the yeah. Mets. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. I, you know, I want that team, this team to have that kind of experience, a deep playoff run. Last year, uh, it was a short year. We honestly kind of wouldn't have even made the playoffs in a regular year with our standing. Um, and they didn't really get like a true playoff experience where you're going on a long playoff run. You know, obviously the Cubs won the World Series the next year with that young core came back from down three, one. Um, wonder if that happens if they don't have a, you know, a, a little bit of playoff experience heading into that. Um, but I will say, uh, I think every team like the White Sox, Yankees fans, Astros fans, Rays fans, they're all kind of in the same boat. I think no one's sitting here right now saying, Oh, our team is, you know, we're set. Like we're, yeah, the Rays are really good. They're probably the closest to the most complete team right now, but the Rays aren't writing themselves up as um, winning the AL pennant by any means, I wouldn't say it. So they're good problems to have, you know, are we healthy enough? Is the pitching rotation deep enough? Um, so I, I can't get too complaining, you know, knowing that kind of every team's in a similar situation. hundred percent. I feel like the American league is a little more evenly distributed. Sure. You've got the Yankees who can, go out there and sign players at will, but that didn't really make that big of a difference this year. You've got a lot of really, really good teams. And I think that might be the more competitive division in terms of the playoffs. And of course, both, both uh, leagues, I should say, are very, very competitive. And in October, that goes without saying, but in the NL, you've got the Dodgers who we'll get to it in a minute. They're still not leading the division. Uh, they, tied for the division lead uh, and then they could not overtake or they were in first for maybe like half a day and then 
they played the Giants, lost, tied again, and then they lost. And so now they're trailing San Francisco by one game, uh, which is nuts. And then NL East, not very strong. You've got Milwaukee in the Central. But I think people would be confident in saying that the pennant winner is probably going to come from the West. I mean, you got the Giants, you got the Dodgers, not to mention the Padres, who are kind of a dark horse. In the American League, I can see any one of the White Sox, Tampa Bay, heck, New York, or Houston as realistic pennant winners. But here's to hoping that the White Sox, by the end of October, can party, party, party and get wasted. Yeah, I just saw the tweet you sent me. I think that's exactly right. Uh, from beginning to end, that tweet sums up the White Sox right now and uh, hopefully how they'll be feeling. It's it's not uh, even an old uh, tweet. July 7th, really 2021. Oh, that's so funny. I wonder if that was like after his huge bat for it. Uh, it might be. It might be. Um, Could have been. We'll have to check the timestamps on that one. But the replies, yeah. man, we're dancing to <laughs> BG. Nah, be good. This ain't sneaky. <laughs> Gotta love it. White Sox Twitter is just undefeated. Always, always. But all right. How about we move to the NL West? Dodgers Giants, pretty good series over the weekend. Yeah, competitive. Like you said, um, Giants taking the first game, Dodgers tying up the division. And then Sunday night baseball, uh, Giants taking that lead back. Now stand with the Giants taking that one game lead over the Dodgers. So, yeah, kind of exactly what we expected. We talked about earlier. It's just kind of no matter what, it was going to be a good series and a good outcome. You know, you're getting good baseball, and um, that's exactly what it was. I think you just saw the best two two teams in baseball, um, like exactly kind of how we talked about it being, just the best series overall. And you kind of saw that every time, uh, from pitching to just late inning bats to you kind of had everything that series. Um, baseball fans got exactly what they wanted. And if you're Major League Baseball in this scenario, this is exactly what you want out of the West. Maybe you'd want to swap the Giants with San Diego because everybody's all over Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado and that group and how electric the Padres are. But, I mean, the Giants, resurgent. They've got their superstars still around from those World Series titles that they made in the mid-2010s. So they're a really fun team to watch. Brandon Crawford, man, I just based on watching, you know, one or two of his at-bats on Sunday Night Baseball, it's like, wow, this guy's still got it. And he's one of those guys that because he plays on the West Coast, you kind of forget that he's still around and he's still producing at a high level. But I think that sums up the Giants pretty well. And I'm glad that that was the Sunday Night Baseball game because it would have been an epic screw up if it wasn't. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think Brandon Crawford, yeah, like you said, just sums up the Giants as a team. Just veteran hitters, know what they're doing, um, professional ball players. He's great on defense, um, especially when he was younger, a little more quicker too, just one of the elite defensive shortstops. And now his bat's better than it's ever been. Um, so just a great player in a completely different way. Um, and, yeah, I'm super happy to see that Giants team be good, honestly, just – KB, I like Posey. I really like Crawford. I like um, it's a team that just doesn't seem like they should be as good as they are. And yet they're beating the Dodgers uh, when it matters the most. They have good pitchers that nobody really talks about. You know, Kevin Gosman, one of the most underrated signings. I thought when they um, signed him to the qualifying offer, it was like 18 and a half million this year. 
Um, I thought that was an overpay at first, and it was, it was pretty early that I um, was proven wrong. Um, but yeah, just really like that Giants team. Really glad, like you said, to see that game on Sunday night um, and how it all ended. In terms of behind the scenes stuff, this is something they talked about on the Sunday night baseball broadcast. They've got this old school quote unquote roster of guys like Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford guys who have been there for a good long while, but behind the scenes, they showed the team picture. They had, I shit you not like 15 coaches in the team picture. And they listed the entire coaching staff next to it. And You've got everything from quality control to the analytics to the hitting coaches. They've got a lot of people working behind the scenes. And I think this is a new age franchise, kind of like the Rays, that is really leaning into that trend in terms of metrics and, and stat cast type stuff to play to their advantage. And I think, you know, even if it only gives them one or two wins in all totality at the end of, at the, end of the season – that might be enough to win them the, the, the division. So I think the Giants are kind of setting the tone for the rest of baseball right now in terms of coaching staffs. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, Zaidi, I think that's uh, the name of the Giants GM. He's been, you know, he's been probably the best executive over the past year. I think just making some of the underrated deals that made it a complete team. Uh, he's turned a team that was, you know, older, um, you would think past their prime, seeing as they, you know, won a few World Series years ago um, and turned them right back into competitors, um, playing the best baseball we've seen, you know. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, credit to their coaching staff, their front office. Plus, they've got just the Arnold Schwarzenegger of head coaches or in, of managers and Gabe Kapler. Dude is just shredded. He could probably go out there and be just as athletic as anyone else on the team. I bet he could be like half their players in sprints. Probably. I think and they he, showed him, or I saw a Twitter video of him like running around in the outfield or something. I'm like, what a hardo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of weird. Kind of weird. You got you got <laughs> that guy, and then you got Tony Larusa. What what a game yeah, baseball right? is. That's what a thing. game. Yeah. Uh, we get a Giants White Sox World Series, and you got Kapler's like got 200 pounds more muscle than Larusa even weighs. Larusa's falling apart to dust at the game, and and Kapler's just this shredded, seemingly in his prime, uh, just insane muscular dude. And of course, you know, in this scenario, we'll have the White Sox winning it, but it would be interesting to see. Yeah, you've got a 76-year-old Tony LaRussa and a 46-year-old Gabe Kapler. Kapler, no surprise to anyone, a native of Hollywood, California. <laughs> he seems like a Hollywood, California type of guy. Yes. I wonder how many times um, Kapler faced off against LaRussa with LaRussa as a manager and Kapler as a player. I wonder what like the, the matchups there are. I wonder. I wonder. I had forgotten Gabe Kapler as a baseball player. He played for a lot of teams. So he played for Detroit, Texas, Colorado, Boston. He's on that 2004 Boston team. And then he went over to Japan to play for the Yomuri Giants in 2005, came back to the Red Sox, then played for the Brewers and then the Rays. So the journey interesting. Man. Yes. He's, uh, he's been everywhere. And he coached Philly, right? Yep, yep. And now, and now he's coaching. Yeah. 
And honestly, until I was watching Sunday Night Baseball, this is going to sound really bad for somebody who's hosting a baseball podcast. I'd forgotten that Bruce Bochy retired. I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, hold up. Where's Bruce Bochy? And I was like, oh, the funny shit, part is, manager. Funny part is, is I heard that he was the White Sox number two. Yeah, I, I, I had heard that as well. Um, right up there. Like, why, what's what's the fascination with old managers? Look, why? Bruce Bochy. What's like great, great manager, great manager. I would have taken Bochy yeah, over Larusa, honestly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think so too. But playoff experience, just like I wanted. Relevant experience has played today's baseball game. Would probably know the rules of the sport that we're playing. So that would have been a little bit of a plus that you wouldn't have thought about heading into the year. Knowledge of the rule book. But yeah, I think I would have liked that a lot more. That's fine. Hey, when uh, when Jerry comes on the pod, we'll have to ask him about it. Yeah, right. I'm sure he's listening. Yes. Another dedicated listener of the Hit by podcast. So thanks, thanks to Jerry. And uh, <laughs> over to the AL East, Lucas. The Yankees were the talk of the town. For about two weeks, they won 13 straight games, and now they've sputtered out, lost four in a row, and you'd think the sky is falling in New York. Apparently, people are calling into the shows, calling for Aaron Boone's job. I mean, New York fans, I live for this stuff. I live for this stuff. They get the team, get the highest of highs, and then they come crashing down, crashing in quotation marks, two and eight in their last 10, four losses in a row crashing by that definition and yeah everybody loses their minds right you're still in the playoffs second place in the division you know still clearly one of the better teams but of course it feels that way yeah not not the first time this year that the Yankees fans have called for Boone's job um I think honestly some of the time the players that they do have make up for Boone um maybe not being as good of a manager as some might think um I, you know, I loved just as much as the next guy, the Savages uh, rant that John Boy uh, put out to kind of put Boone on the, on the, you know, in the media as like this, for cool me, cat. it's what made him seem like a, yeah, like a good manager. I'm like, oh yeah, Boone sticks up for his guys. You know, Boone's a, a young dude sticking up for his Savages. That's cool. But then the more that I watch, you know, keep up with kind of what's going on with the Yankees, I think maybe it's more the fact that yeah. they just have, an insanely high payroll and can get any player they want. And um, maybe rightfully so that uh, fans don't like Boone, but definitely still major overreaction. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it just seems like the world's falling for Yankees. Two and eight is disappointing, but combine that with your win streak. And honestly, it's not that bad, guys. You're still playing good baseball. Um, and you still, like I said, have one of the better teams. It'll be okay. Um, I think still going to be fine in the playoff spot. You're going to get that playoff spot. You're going to get in. You're going to have October baseball. Um, so just like I tell myself as a Sox fan, Yankees fans, just take a chopo. You know what? I don't think New York fans are capable of that. <laughs> I, I think I mentioned my bet with one of my roommates who is a native of New York and New York Yankees fan. In the middle of the Yankees win streak, I got him going a little bit. I told him Yankees aren't winning the division. He's like, you want to bet? I was like, all right, I'll bet you five bucks. Anybody but the Yankees wins the AL East. He's like, 
shook on it on the spot. And then afterwards, he's like, wait a minute. So, like, you bet on the Rays to win the East. I was like, no, no, I, I bet on the field. The field versus the Yankees. And uh, in the moment, I think he maybe regretted it a little bit. And now he's like, wow, you really got me going, man. That was a bad bet on my part. And I was like, that's how you make money. Yeah, and then a few minutes later, he brought up the 27 rings, and it was just a typical uh, Yankee fan conversation, huh? Yep, yep, 27 rings. He's got a uh, he's got a sign above his his door with the Joe DiMaggio quote of like uh, about being proud to be Yankee or whatever. So it's like he's he's your stereotypical New York Yankees fan. Yeah, right. That seems like something only a Yankee fan would do. Yes, it's uh. I love to pick on him, but yeah, yeah. Maybe the, the classic, the classic comeback line for the 27 rings is, Hey, any, any rings before Jackie Robinson, man, uh, those are, those are frauds. Those don't count. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Yeah. Are you proud of that? <laughs> yeah. Ew, ew. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should just keep most of those to yourself. Then. Yes. Yeah. You can pipe down, buddy. Um, AL East though, low key. How about those Blue Jays, man? The Blue Jays have turned it on nine and one in their last 10, six wins in a row. Baseball north of the border is back. Yeah, they have two of the best players in the league, not named Shohei Otani. Um, ex White Sox, Marcus Simeon, kind of stings a little bit to see him doing so well um, everywhere he's gone since he left the team. Uh, and of course, Vlad Guerrero Jr., putting up MVP numbers, both going to reach the 40 home run milestone. Um, from their second baseman, a bit of a surprise, uh, as well as their first baseman, you know, Vladdy's just killing the ball. Um, yeah, they're good. They've got the offense to do it. Springer's been hurt all year, so if he stays healthy the rest of the year, that'll really help them compete because he's just played at a, an elite level when he is healthy. Uh, it's a great signing for them. You just hate to see him hurt and out of the game. Um, so hopefully he stays uh, healthy. They've got some pitching coming up. You know, Alec Manoa has had a great rookie year. Um, he's been a workhorse for them, just piling up the innings lately. Robbie Ray, possible AL Cy Young. Who would have thought that coming into the year? Um, I thought he was kind of – honestly, I thought he was cheeks. Uh, for a long part of the year, he led the league in home runs. Uh, he looked good the first time I saw him uh, against the White Sox. Me and uh, our producer, Will, went out to the game there. He diced us up for a little bit. We got uh, one home run late in the game. And then we ended up kind of piling on. I think final score was seven or eight to one. Um, and it kind of clouded. My point is it kind of clouded how good Robbie Ray was. And, you know, probably it's going to be him or Garrett Cole winning that. So they can say that they have an ace. Unfortunately, they're going up against a team who can also say that they have an ace in the Yankees. Uh, and so it's going to get very interesting. Hopefully those bats will be good enough to uh, give them the edge. All things considered head-to-head. I don't think that there's that much separation between Toronto and New York. I think in a one game playoff, I'd probably take the Yankees just because of that experience factor. Garrett Cole, he's won a world series with an asterisk. Um, And they've got those bats, Anthony Rizzo. He's won a world series without an asterisk. So they've got dudes who can flat out get the job done, but Toronto, man, you got those young guys. And sometimes that's just enough to get you riding the wave in the postseason. It reminds me of the 2015 Cubs a little bit. You got a young core with a few veteran pieces, George Springer in the mix there. 
and a few veterans on the pitching staff, Robbie Ray, Jose Barrios, not exactly, I'd probably call him a veteran. I don't know how much playoff experience he has, but veterans, young guys, that's a good combination uh, because you get those guys in that big game. Most of them won't fold. You know, they're wide eyed. They're excited to play big baseball. And especially if that game is in Toronto, if the game's in Toronto, I'm not betting against the Blue Jays. If the yeah, game's in so New York, time. I think the Yankees would definitely win. But holy mackerel, the Rogers Center, that's a different type of baseball experience. People sleep on that. I think the Rogers Center, when it's really going, when it's really packed and the Blue Jays are good, I think that is one of the loudest, if not the loudest, stadium in baseball. Yeah, I think um, baseball fans north of the border, there's a lot more of them than people think. I think Toronto is a big baseball city. I think there's a lot of really good Blue Jays fans out there. I'm jealous that you've been able to see a game there. That's definitely something that I want to do at some point. Honestly, I've only ever been to, um, you know, the Cell, Guaranteed Rate, and uh, Wrigley Field. So I'm, I can imagine that being crazy. I know the White Sox never really play well in Toronto. Um, I actually don't know that. I just know that that's something that my dad said one time, so I'm going to stick to it. Um, but yeah, Classic. that'd be insane to watch just uh, a Yankees Blue Jays game in Toronto. I think that'd be like my ideal wild card game right now. I think Robbie Ray, I think kind of just thinking of the Yankees lineup similar to the White Sox lineup, and just in the fact that they kind of have a lot of big right handed bats, and Robbie Ray's looked real good both, time they, both times that he's faced us. Um, I'm interested to see. I'll have to look up how he's done against the Yankees so far this year because that would end up being the matchup. And it'd be a fun team to see um, Toronto in the playoffs this year. I think something I think about, I don't know how realistic it is that I think this, but for teams like um, the White Sox and Toronto is winning these playoff series, maybe um, kind of boosting their their view in the marketplace and maybe more players will be inclined to sign with a team that's won a playoff series and looks like a legit contender the next year. So I think, you know, even winning one playoff series or the wild card game and, and having a good series uh, in the divisional round would be very beneficial to the Blue Jays, even outside of just this year. I think, you know, they're obviously just like a lot of teams you can say are one or two pieces away, maybe one more long-term starting pitcher. Um, so a series like this or a wild card game like this, where they look like they're ready to compete, maybe just one or two things don't go their way. Maybe that's uh, the deciding factor in a big free agent signing next year. I don't think major league baseball is quite like the NBA in terms of, you know, free agents constantly fleeting and super teams building themselves up out of nowhere, like the Brooklyn nets. But what you just said, I mean, that's, it's a very good point. If you're a free agent this year and you see winners, you want to win, right? I mean, that's the one thing you can control is when you're a free agent, you can control whether or not you go to a winner or loser seemingly. And of course, a lot of things can happen over the course of an off season and early season to take a team like the Blue Jays from a winner or a loser. But you see that young core that the Blue Jays have. If I'm a free agent, say like Trevor Story or something outside of the position factor, this offseason, on my list, number one, San Diego. Number two, Toronto. Just in terms of pure talent, 
I want to go to San Diego because the weather is nice as hell. It's a destination. I think that organization's on a come up. Maybe they don't have the, the Brinks truck to back up for you because they've got a lot of payroll. But Toronto, that's the destination in the AL, in my opinion. A lot of young talent. They've been willing to shell out the money to win now. Yeah, I think a common trend um, that you do see, you're absolutely right. Um, I don't think that the players have as much control in the MLB as they do in, say, the NBA. Um, but you'll see players who have, like, a no-trade clause because um, of service time, you know, in the league or whatever, kind of give a pool of teams just like Scherzer did. You know, there's a few teams that I'll go to. They're contenders. Absolutely, it could be the case where winning a series puts you in that bubble where a player says, you know, I am willing to go to this team if you can work something out or I'm not willing to go to this team. Um, and like you said, you know, you can think any team of being a contender, um, but it is, you know, there is a general consensus where these teams are going to compete and these teams aren't, you know, with there's probably one team, I'd say the Giants, maybe the Brewers, where you would say, before the year, maybe wouldn't put them in that competing category. But for the most part, you know who's going to compete, right? You know who's going to be the good teams. You know where, if you're a free agent, where you have a good chance of winning. And so, you know, that does give the player a little more power and um, gives a little bit little bit of power to the series that we may potentially see um, as far as predicting that. Yeah, absolutely. And the bottom line is, going back to the Blue Jays, Baseball is a little bit more fun when the Blue Jays are good. I don't know about you. I love watching the AL East when it's like Baltimore and Toronto are good because you got those fans. Sure, you've got bandwagon fans for every organization, but those Baltimore fans have been through thick and thin. Those Toronto fans, they had that nice little run in the 90s, back-to-back titles. But other than that, they haven't had much success. Um, those fans are pretty dedicated, man. And when those teams are good, they show up and they are loud. Because I remember what what year was it? 2013, when Baltimore uh, had that ALDS. I just remember that Delman Young double when it was just <laughs> had Oriole Park at Camden Yards jumping. Uh, but of course, the iconic moment for the Blue Jays we we're talking about it before the show was the Jose Bautista bat flip, and everybody knows that even non-baseball fans know that moment yeah and so that even though the blue jays aren't a team that you know maybe casual baseball fans think of when they think of like teams that create moments like that i mean that's an electric atmosphere you put a roof over the place the camera's going to be shaken the fans are going to be really into it and really loud even when it's not completely packed the sound bounces around inside rogers center and it's a fun place to watch baseball and fun stuff like that happens a fair amount yeah blue jays fans they can say they have you know in every greatest sports moment montage they at least have two plays that they know are going to pop up it's going to be the batista home run and the joe carter home run and those are you know their claim to fame for now i think they've got a team that could definitely um, produce some more of those noteworthy plays and memorable plays and a fun and exciting postseason run maybe not this year but in the next few years, for sure, we'll see something like that. Yeah, the Joe Carter home run, the Jose Bautista home run with the bat flip, and then the Jose Bautista and Rognetto Dewar fight. <laughs> that was the an all-time fight. Yeah, the biggest fight of the century. Oh, man. Got to love it. The Blue Jays, they need to make the wild card game and then pick up Bautista just to have coming off the bench. 
Yeah, right. Because Odor's on the Yankees now. People forget. That's true. Yeah, seriously, round two. Maybe that's just me, wishful thinking. I think I saw somewhere Bautista, he, he had retired, and he started pursuing his career again as a pitcher, a pitcher an independent yeah. ball. Wow. Heck, pick him up, come out of the bullpen to face Odor, hit him, oh, he's pull him. Beamed, that's, yeah. it. that's it. That, uh, that's electric yeah. right there. That's going back to a reality podcast in there. That's reality baseball. Hey, we're the just spitballing here. If if Major League Baseball <laughs> yeah. was WWE, you can script these moments. You can you can that'll sell some we tickets. We can pull some strings here. Yeah, exactly. That absolutely would sell some tickets. I'd pay to see that. Yeah, and all things considered, no, I don't want to turn Major League Baseball into WWE. But when push comes to shove, you got to get the young people watching. So take absolutely. it or leave it, Whatever it Rob. Takes. Maybe we. Maybe we implement a little hockey fighting rule too. Yeah, nobody gets ejected. Just it's got to be two guys though. Two guys. That's it. Right. Yeah. No bench. Everybody player. stays on the bench. They can make all all the noise they want. Bullpen's got to stay in the bullpen. Just two guys duking it out. I like that. Only in Canada though. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then you say you say sorry and thank you afterwards. Yes. Shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. Back to reality. Back to reality for the Cincinnati Reds. No longer in possession of a wild card spot. They are now a game back of the San Diego Padres entering action tonight. We said at the top of the show, I don't know if the Reds want to be a contender. I don't know if the Cardinals want to be a contender. I sure know that the Padres are built like a contender, but heck, they've underperformed. So does anybody even want this second wild card? Yeah, we've kind of hinted about this happening and kind of the mediocrity of the teams competing for the second wild card. Um, we kind of knew that the the Reds weren't legit. Um, they're kind of frauds. We've tossed that term around a few times now. Yeah, getting blown out by the Tigers. You know, they beat the Cardinals once, lost that series. So there's that, you know, losing to the teams below you in the standings. Never a good sign, especially for when you're trying to make up ground in a wild card race. Um, yeah, still got the benefit of an easy-ish schedule, really only playing the Dodgers. Uh, they got a two-game series against the White Sox later in the month. But there's a lot of the Pirates, three different series against the Pirates still, one against the Cubs that they're finishing up now. Um, and other than that, it's just really easy baseball for them. So, if you want to think that they're um, good enough to beat these teams, then, you know, I think they have the roster to do that. I think they probably should be favorited to win a lot of these games. Um, but they're just not complete. And then you'll just see kind of stretches like this where they won't beat the teams that they should. Um, and I think that's why ultimately maybe it's just not, not, not in the story for them to make the playoffs this year. That's something that we've discussed a lot over the last few weeks is strength of schedule. Uh, just because in the National League, you know, you don't want to run into those teams from the West. Um, Padres, their strength of schedule, we talked about it, I think, even in August. I mean, their remaining strength of schedule is good. A lot of games against the Dodgers, handful of games against the Giants. Those are the teams you want to stay away from. But largely, the Padres control their own destiny. Um so if, if you want to be the best, you got to be the best. And that's the bottom line. That's how you got to be thinking if you're San Diego. 
if you're the Reds, they take care of business. Like you said, I think they can finish with that wild card spot. Whether or not they beat a team like the Dodgers in a one-game playoff, I really don't know. And frankly, I don't think they would. But you never know. Uh, you got to make it that far in order to start thinking about those things. But how about the Cardinals? Let's look at their remaining schedule. They've got the series against the Dodgers, which they've lost two games already. And the Cardinals have now lost four straight. They've got two more games against L.A. And they've got three with the Reds, three at the Mets, three versus San Diego, four at Milwaukee, not favorable, and then four at the Cubs to wrap up September, or excuse me, three versus the Brewers to wrap up September, and then three versus the Cubs to end the season. So the Cubs could end up playing spoiler for the Cardinals' playoff hopes. But all things considered, that's a pretty favorable schedule. I mean, you got the Padres sprinkled in there. A lot of games against the Brewers, that's not great. But the Mets, also a beatable team. Yeah, I think beatable, but I think that'll be a very telling series. If they kind of shit the bet against the Mets um, in New York, like you mentioned, then probably not very promising that they're going to beat teams like the Padres and then going to the Brewers after that. That's tough baseball. And, like, they don't really get a break as far as an easy team. Um, they're playing the Dodgers now, like you mentioned. Then they're playing the Reds, who ahead of them in the standings still they're gonna have to beat that team right now that is the better team you know so they're gonna those are must-win games uh, at this point in the year the mats like i said if you lose those games then really not looking pretty having to go three against the padres four at milwaukee a nice four game series against the cubs still on the road though um like you said the cubs kind of later in the month could be spoiling some baseball uh, for the Cardinals, but then back to it, another three-game series against the Brewers. Everything seems like a must-win game for the Cardinals. And this is, has me thinking, because we've talked about you know, the Sox not really having these these types of games, and of course, I always circle back to my White Sox. Um, but then one thing that I look for as a fan when I don't really have much invested in the games is I kind of root for what will get me the most competition um, or the most like competitive baseball, I would say. I think now looking at this, I'd much rather have the Padres knowing that they're going to play um, a handful of games against the Dodgers, handful of games against the Giants. They're going to, if they're in the playoffs, assuming they win a majority of those games, then playing good baseball, I think that'll give us the best matchup come playoff time. I think if the Reds um, beat a lot of bad teams, maybe lose to some of the better teams that they're going to play sneak into the playoffs playing, you know, okay baseball, we're not going to see a good wild card game. If they win, we're probably not going to see a good series, you know, just not as good of a team. Um, and then the Cardinals, you know, like I said, they're playing so many meaningful games. It would be very Cardinal-esque of them to just get real hot, win these games, have a lot of momentum from these important ones. Um, one game wild card, and boom, next thing you know, you have the hottest team in baseball two games away from advancing. Yeah, I like the way you think there. Like Cardinals fans are definitely, I think, they believe more in their team than Reds fans do. I woke up to a text the other day from one of my best friends, Cardinals fan. Uh, shout out Alec Bussey. He said, give me Adam Wainwright in a one-game playoff against – 
one of the Dodgers' best starters, and I don't hate our chances. I'm thinking to myself, Alex, too early for this, man. Like, really? What? <laughs> Come on. I, <laughs> he's got a point, though, because a former ace can always pitch like an ace. That's the bottom mm-hmm. line. That's a baseball altruism. You've got guys like Clayton Kershaw, Justin Verlander. They are always capable of pitching to their Cy Young caliber selves. And Adam Wainwright, no different. Um, so I, I like the Cardinals a little bit better than the Reds just for that matter. They got to start playing like they want to win that wild card spot. The Reds aren't really. They're just kind of hovering. But the Cardinals haven't made up any ground. They're just chilling kind of three and a half games back within striking distance, but not really that close. And all of a sudden, I think the Padres are starting to play some good baseball. They're 500 in their last 10 games, but right now I just flipped on the Padres game on my free MLB TV subscription. Blake Snell, no hitter through six innings. Uh, He's walked back-to-back guys now in a 0-0 game, but this is the second straight start that Blake Snell has taken a no-hitter deep into the game. He starts going, and if the team starts hitting its stride, look out because there's one of the best teams in baseball on paper getting hot. Yeah, starting pitching has been the Padres' issue, um, and honestly, Blake Snell has been the biggest part of that. You know, they traded uh, a lot in Luis Patino for for Blake Snell, and um, for the longest time, it looked like a really bad deal just because Snell wasn't performing to the same level that he was in uh, Tampa. But like you said, former Cy Young, he's always got that stuff. You know, that that top of the line stuff didn't just go away overnight. He might not always be on his A game. Um, but he's got that stuff in his back pocket and his last two starts, he's looked quite literally unhittable at times. And that'll be huge for them um, moving forward for the Padres. And as I'm watching, looked like Snell allowed an infield hit, but then they overturned the call. It was an out. To, well. to an out. Okay. Yeah. So now the no hitter through six and a third. So to our live listeners, non-existent, Go ahead and turn on your television and flip to MLB Network. <laughs> baseball's brewing. Uh, watch the replay to all our other listeners. Uh, speaking of the Cardinals and former superstars, we got to talk about Albert Pujols. That's a guy that we have not talked about a lot on this podcast. He's creeping up near that 700 home run mark, and he's had a bit of a resurgence with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it's really surprised me. I I can't even say it surprised me. It's more just impressed me. He hit 198 in 24 games with the Angels. Since coming to the Dodgers, he's hitting 261 in 69 games with 11 home runs and 36 RBIs. That is highly, highly productive. And he's a veteran role player, a guy that hits lefties so, so well. I think it's a no-brainer for the St. Louis Cardinals to re-sign him for his victory lap season this upcoming offseason. Yeah, love what Albert's been doing over uh, in Los Angeles. Super happy that he can still have a successful year um, at this stage of his career. It was not looking good in Anaheim. Um, And we kind of foreshadowed it earlier, talking about just the change of scenery and what that can do for an athlete. Cause I think that's probably the best example of someone who just really needed the change of scenery. Obviously he had gotten that huge contract with the angels and from day one was never performing up to what that was going to be um, a backloaded contract. So obviously now it looked at like he was getting paid millions and millions, you know, upwards of $30 million to be a well below average hitter. 
Um, part of that, I think, was front office's um, inability to move on from the idea that he was a starting first baseman. You know, he just couldn't be a starting everyday player at that point. Jared Walsh, um, he was an all-star this year, should have taken that job over before he did. Um, Albert, you know, I can't speak on what he's thinking, but I'm sure being one of the best hitters of all time, no longer being in your prime and playing well below how your career has been, um, it would seem, I would feel like, like I would just kind of want to escape that. Now he's with the Dodgers. He's being in a, used in a role where he's going to succeed, you know, against lefties for the most part only. Um, and it's really worked well. He's looked very well uh, in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, 18 homers, like you said, didn't expect that. I'm sure the Angels fans didn't expect that when he got traded or, or um, you know, signed by the Dodgers. And so, yeah, like I said, just really happy to see that for a guy like Oliver at this stage in his uh, Hall of Fame career. And as a Cubs fan, I, I love when fans use that line as a qualifier, as a qualifier, as a blank fan, as a Cubs fan, even I'm happy to see him have this success. Um, knowing that, you know, I watched him for years and years dominate the Cubs. And he's still got it. I mean, you see flashes. It is really amazing how that works because baseball players, I, I feel like they don't lose their talent super fast and you can fade a little bit, but I mean, now even Pujols, he's having, literally a resurgence by definition and he's coming back into his own a little bit and we were talking about it before the show the cardinals re-signed yadier molina to a one-year deal he's come out and said this is it for me i'm done after this adam wainwright he's getting there that next year might be his last season mm-hmm. it makes too much sense for the cardinals to sign Albert Pujols. Like, that is a no-brainer, and I'm sure he wants to go back. So I will be very interested to see if the Cardinals pull that off because if they don't, that's one of the biggest screw-ups in franchise history. And that's a great Cardinals franchise. It would be idiotic if they did not bring back one of the greatest players of all time to finish out his career because at this rate, if he continues to be productive, he's going to hit 700 home runs next year. He'll probably get up to 685 this year, maybe 690. He's not going to hit 700 with the Dodgers. He's going to hit 700 with whoever he signs with next year. And clearly he's got some gas left in the tank. So if I'm the Cardinals, you cannot screw that up. Yeah, it's like the perfect storm. Like it just seems like it has to happen. Um, I think that 700 home run milestone, something so huge. Like it's a big deal to me when – someone hits like 400 with a team that they maybe shouldn't have or a team that they spent a small fraction of their career with, as opposed to, um, you know, the majority of it. I think, you know, it seems like you should want that player to hit it with the team that they succeeded so much in, but oftentimes in baseball, you'll see, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. hit his something hundredth home run with the White Sox or with the team, you know, that it, you think, wow, he even played there. Like, I hope that we won't say, oh, Albert Pujols even played with the Diamondbacks or something, you know, like that. It seems like, you know, for that reason and that milestone alone, I want Pujols to be on the Cardinals. He hit 90% of his, you know, 700 home runs. Bit of an exaggeration, but most of his home runs with the Cardinals. He won World Series there. Um, he is a Cardinal in, my, in most people's eyes, you know. 
Um, I also think it's kind of a good mix of um, young and old talent on the Cardinals right now. Got a lot of veterans on uh, Arenado, Goldschmidt, um, you know, Harrison Bader kind of turning into a Cardinals uh, veteran, been with the team for a while. DeYoung uh, just seems like another one of those teams where if all those old veteran players kind of had a bit of a resurgence, just like the Giants have, um, maybe they still have a bit of a window of opportunity to compete. And I'm sure, you know, uh, a right-handed bat on the bench, most teams can use something like that. You know, me personally, I hope the Cardinals don't really have that resurgence because, oh, God, I, I can't bear to hear what I'd be hearing about. Um, but it would be kind of neat to see Albert Pujols playing for the Cardinals again on a competitive team, and it would be the most Cardinals thing ever for them to go on a run. Win the World Series, you got Pujols, Molina, Wainwright, all standing there, World Series champs again. I can see it. I can see it happening. So hopefully I'm jinxing it, but I at least hope to see Albert Pujols play for the Cardinals for at least one more game. Yeah, I mean, 700 home runs. Uh, we haven't – I don't think we've seen that in our lifetime. I mean, I don't – just off the top of my head, has mm -hmm. anyone – I'm trying I'm trying to think. Um how many did Griffey hit? I don't think Griffey hit. Griffey didn't hit 700. 600, though, I think. Yes. Didn't, didn't somebody? Eh, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. 630. I think I would think that um, Ken Griffey Jr.'s 630 is probably the most that we've seen to this How, point. I, didn't, like, didn't, that, didn't that one guy? Uh, who broadcasts baseball for ESPN and ESPN now? Didn't that guy? I forgot his name. Oh, Aaron. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, how many did he have? Didn't he? Didn't he retire just short of seven hundred? Six ninety six. Six ninety six. Yeah, that what I was gonna say. Mm. Who? Who else? Who else? Who else could have possibly hit that mark? Lucas, Don't to be frank, I'm not. I'm not sure if we're joking or not here. Honestly, maybe I'm just drawing hella blanks, but I can't think of anyone else. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Lucas! Seven hundred—that's crazy. Barry Bonds. Well, yeah, but Bonds isn't like my guy. Bonds isn't like my baseball lifetime. Okay. All right. Well, I I thought that was. I thought we were beating around that. On yeah. Purpose. No, you were right. I don't know more of my dumbass just kind of <laughs> duh thinking it, I, I remember watching Barry Bonds hit his 700th whatever bullshit home run I think I just remember it because I've watched it on YouTube so many times but he to me seems like the generation before myself well yeah I mean I don't think we we saw him at his peak we did not see him right. in his legitimacy I remember just from day one you know he was Big, bulky Barry Bonds, not the Barry Bonds who was a gifted athlete and Hall of Fame baseball player before he cheated. Um, not that guy. So, you know, I've never really considered Barry Bonds the, the home run king. That's, that's still Hank Aaron in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree there. Story for another day, though. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess we're too young, too young to remember. Yeah, maybe some 90s babies, those 99 fringe guys. People always thinking that they know more the generation before. That's more their their time. And 
I'm I'm no Barry Bonds fan. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Speaking of the Bay Area, White Sox had a little trouble with Oakland Coliseum today. Yeah, um, kind of came in with some bad blood just remembering the playoff series last year in Oakland. I think last time the Sox were here because I don't believe we played in Oakland this year. So obviously last time we were there, um, that trip ended with the season ending. So obviously wanting a little bit better of um, results, but the stadium itself just cannot believe that it's still like a professional baseball stadium. I feel like all of my life it's been known as like the worst place for visiting teams, like visiting teams complain about it. Um, managers complain about it. The dugouts and like the visiting facilities are never the greatest. Um, that ridiculous amount of foul territory that every play is still in and um, in play or every ball is still in play. And then of course, just the most white Sox thing in the world, Eloy gets drilled on a foul ball into the dugout on the knee tonight. Um, he was down. I, th- I honestly thought that like Larusa had a heart attack or something just laying on the ground because like the White Sox <laughs> players were all standing in a line like not to see. I'm like, oh my god, who is that? Like, a foul ball is not going to kill anyone on the team except for Larusa. Like, I don't see him. I honestly thought that's what happened. I thought we were going to have like a tribute season for our coach. It actually happened. But then I see Eloy, and it's like, God. Like, I'll give you Tony at this point. Take LaRusso, just not Eloy. <laughs> not the big baby. Oh, yeah, man. Seriously. Like, I, uh, I'm to see him too real. Like, he is a real big baby, but just kind of, I don't know if it's bad luck or what, but we need to just pat him up and bubble wrap in there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It, it really surprises me that there's no dugout railings. Every other stadium in the major leagues at this point after the Marlins moved to the new Marlins park or whatever the fuck it's called stadium. Now, um, after that, everybody's had railings except Oakland Coliseum. And I think that's because of the foul territory, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if that's much of an excuse. You know, you got exit velocities increasing. You've got velocities out of pitchers hands increasing. It's just a bad idea. Like there was one Northwoods league stadium. Shout out uh, C.O. Brown Stadium in Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, or as my friend Harris Eisenberg called it, Crispy Original Brown Stadium. Um, that place was crusty, and it didn't have dugout railings. Um, but other than that, every other ballpark I've seen that is like somewhat of minor league quality has dugout railings. Like, it seems so minimalistic now, Right. Why wouldn't they have dugout railings? Yeah. Like teams are putting nets up to protect the fans. Like it's one of those things that it just seems like, okay, that's just kind of part of the field. Like the dugout, it's just common sense to have a railing there, some sort of protection from balls going, you know, 120 miles per hour off the bat at some, sometimes. Um, Yeah. It just absolutely seems like, why not? seems very outdated. And um, just stupid. And like, yeah, you can't even make the excuse like, oh, there's so much foul territory. It won't happen. Like, I mean, he just got hurt. Like he didn't, he obviously went out and played. It wasn't a big deal, but he was down for a while. I mean, it could have, if it wasn't his knee or if it hit a different part of his knee or any multiple situations where that could have turned ugly. And with a simple solution of just installing a fence, it seems like it, it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
it's only a matter of time. God forbid that like somebody gets just absolutely shit on by a foul ball in, yeah. in one of those yeah. dugouts. Like seventy-six year old Tony Larusa, he he he's no cat. You know, he doesn't have those reflexes. I mean, what is he supposed yeah. to do? Just turn and take it? Yeah, literally, like in the video, the White Sox actually had a crazy good um, camera shot of the the ball coming into the dugout. They had the dugout cam, and Luis Robert jumped like right out of the way. He saw it coming, and then like Eloy is just like in the line of fire after that. Like, what if it was Tony walking right behind Luis Robert, and like that legit would probably put him out for the rest of the year. I bet if he gets hit with a baseball like anywhere serious, he's breaking something for sure. Like that, it's a legitimate concern. For at least our team, I guess most people don't have to say that they have an old, brittle, frail manager that they have to protect. But I'm sure it just bounced back off of Gabe Kapler's chest. But White Sox, we don't <laughs> have the iron luxury. pecs. Yeah, right. Going. Yes. Yeah, and then all that does is create more problems for everybody. Then you got to build ramps in all the visiting dugouts so Tony LaRusso doesn't have to climb the stairs. And mm-hmm. then that's just more money. And it all could have been prevented by the Oakland athletics. So yeah, moral of the story. Come on, Oakland. What are we doing? Exactly. Come on, Oakland. Shouldn't be a, it should never have been a football field either. I hated having the baseball diamond on the football field. And now at this point, it just shouldn't be a baseball diamond either. So um, you you mean you didn't like watching the the Raiders play on a baseball diamond for the first three weeks? I was so confused. Like the whole time, like as a kid, I would ask, why that was the case like why are they playing on a baseball field and it still didn't even make sense because how are you going to fit a hundred yard rectangle on a triangular kind of for the most part circular field and now you're putting a football rectangle somehow on that and i guess that just kind of makes sense to why um the stadium sucks right now they fit a football field on it and that's why it's awful and i will say i've heard from some folks they say that it's not the worst place in the world to watch a baseball game. And I, I believe yeah. them. I really do. Because A's fans are a passionate bunch. So hopefully the A's fans don't find this podcast. Otherwise, we, we might be sunk. Um, but I believe them. It might be a fine place to watch a baseball game. I don't think it's a great place to play a baseball game. Yeah. And isn't that what matters? Right. You'd think. Yeah, that's what. You'd think. Yeah, absolutely right. You would think that enough player complaints would – um you know, cause some change or something. I remember last year, I think it was last year, maybe 2019, but I think it was last year they had Ramon Laureano mic'd up and it was a game where the smog in the area was so bad that it was like, there was just an orange haze over the entire game um, because of the, the air quality in California. So obviously not much they can do about there and relocating a few miles down to a new stadium even wouldn't have helped that. But you know, it just of course that happens in Oakland. Like the the stadium's old and shitty, and now you can't even breathe the air there either. Like, what is this? Yeah, it's uh, what's next? Aliens? Yeah. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, how about our last topic to address? Adley Rushman, the multi-talented athlete. I I am surprised that I had not seen that Adley Rushman was a football player at Oregon state, as well as a baseball player. Yeah. I had no idea about that. I feel like um, there's some players where anytime they come up to the player, anytime they go to the free throw line, you know, they're the announcer is going to mention, 
oh, you know, Jimmy Graham was a basketball player or, you know, so-and-so, you know, Julius Peppers played basketball too and, and so-and-so. Announcers always love to mention the fact that they played other sports. So you would think you, it's just kind of common knowledge for some players. But yeah, then I'm just scrolling Twitter one day and I see this video of Adley Rutschman kicking a 65-yard field goal in high school. Just completely insane. Like that's more than the NFL record and this best baseball prospect in the in the country, in the world, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, is better than, you know, an NFL kicker, at least from that distance he was. And then the next day, I see him kicking off at Oregon State against Stanford and making the tackle on Christian McCaffrey, you know, fantasy star, football star, Christian McCaffrey, can't even get past the switch hitting catcher uh, in the Baltimore Orioles organization right now. Like that, baseball players are athletes, baby. And that brought up the conversation, you know, in my head, my little inner dialogue, like, I think maybe baseball players could be some of the best athletes. And I think um a lot of people would say otherwise of course football players are going to say football players um basketball players going to say they are but i think um there's just many examples um that show why baseball players could be you know the most truly uh, overall athletic interested to see what you have to say i've got an interesting opinion on this because i i think even baseball players me after hanging out with the collegiate baseball players all summer long for 76 days I think most of them recognize that baseball players aren't the best athletes but I think in order to be a successful baseball player you have to have the most unique skill set and perhaps the best hand-eye coordination out of any mainstream sport because I'm sure anybody will tell you and most professional athletes outside of baseball will agree that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do consistently in professional sports. I mean, heck, even you got pitchers who go up there and hit and they can't hit a lick. It's, it's that hard. They're around the game every single day, but they still can't hit at the major league level. And that's how difficult baseball is. It really is hard. I, I like to say that Baseball players aren't athletes, they're baseball players. But you do have baseball players who are athletes. So, I don't know, there's there's like a Venn diagram in my head. <laughs> You've got like baseball players, athletes, and then like in the middle. I'm baseball trying to like visualize this. Yeah. <laughs> so, for me, who's in the middle? Adley Rushman. I mean, Bo Jackson. Yeah. Uh and then in the baseball player column, you got like guys like Prince Fielder, um, Bartolo Colon, right. uh, those types of fellas. And then athletes, Michael Jordan. You know, Michael Jordan, here's, here's the deal. LeBron never played baseball. Michael Jordan played baseball. Does that mean he's the greatest of all time? I think it has Argument to. settled. Yeah, there's no other qualifying factor that even means anything. No, Matters absolutely to not. Me, as Gordon Beckham would say. I was, I was watching I was watching the the broadcast the other day and Gordon Beckham said matters McGee I'd never heard that and neither had Benetti he's like is that a Beckham family thing I'm like it has to be what yeah I, I'd never heard that matters McGee he said yeah it means it doesn't matter I'm like no that's not what that matters means. McGee yeah I, I think I'm gonna pull that one out next time on a, on a broadcast 
The Matters McGee. <laughs> but, yeah. Gordon Gordon Beckham's from Georgia, so that doesn't surprise me. They, they yeah. all they say all sorts of interesting stuff down there. That story immediately transitioned to him telling a story about his dad shooting his truck while they were hunting pigs on his at his house. So yeah, those those Georgia stories <laughs> are something else, and it's a very interesting broadcast listening to Gordon Beckham. Um, shoot, maybe he's another one of those guys who's uh, an athlete. Uh, and a bit of a baseball player, didn't have the best major league career, but you know, he's athletic enough to play a good defense. I think there's a lot of guys like that where Darwin you know, Barney, so, my guy. Yeah, exactly. Like a good enough athlete to play good defense um, and swing a baseball bat, enough coordination to swing a baseball bat. But also, you got guys like Williams Astadio, who's like a legit bowling ball. La Tortuga. Exactly. Like these guys shouldn't be professional athletes. And I think in any other sport, they wouldn't get the opportunity to, but they have that unique set of skills that you talked about that allows them to be a baseball player. Um, Definitely one of my favorite things about the sport. I honestly think anyone can be a baseball player. Um, Yeah. It takes a lot of of skill to get that hand-eye coordination. You mentioned Um, hitting a baseball is never easy. I think the video of Giannis trying to hit a baseball even off of a tee is one of my favorite examples of that. Like even the best athlete who completely dominates grown men doing his same profession, he's so much better than the people that he does that against and he can't even hit a stationary ball with a baseball bat. So you nailed it on the head. It is a very unique skill set to become uh, to be a baseball player. But there are guys, you know, Bo, uh, Michael Jordan, Deion Sanders, another great athlete who is such an athlete that that allows them to be good at baseball. Hundred percent, and I completely agree. That's one of my favorite things about baseball is you don't have to be this elite athlete. Other than golf, which I don't know if this phrase really applies to golf, it's it's really the common man's game. And, and golf, not to the extent of money, because money's a big factor in golf, but baseball truly is. It's kind of the equalizer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have dudes out there who are like three hundred pounds, completely uncoordinated, but if they can pitch the ball. If they can throw an off-speed pitch, put him on the same field as a guy like, you know, primetime, like Deion Sanders, I mean, bam, there you go. That's uh, that's baseball for you right there. you got athletes versus non-athletes, fat guys versus skinny guys, jack guys versus completely unmuscular guys. It's um, That's the beauty of baseball, as I like to say. Yeah, probably my favorite example of that um is watching mariano rivera tear off a piece of cardboard fit it to his hand and show the camera that's how he played catch for his entire life you know poor couldn't afford a glove literally played with just the cardboard fold to protect his hand and the most dominant relief pitcher one of the best pitchers of all time Uh, exactly you know anyone can play baseball the common common man sport yeah you're gonna have those california kids who go to those private high schools play baseball 365 days a year um but just as easily you're gonna have you know the kid who grew up with less and um just has that skill to be one of the better players definitely and there are so many of those stories ride Carew, pretty similar didn't grow up the most wealthy but got noticed because he was playing sandlot baseball outside of yankee stadium in new york like there are so many stories like that um from a lot of players, Hall of Famers, you know, so many different backgrounds that players can come from. It's uh, that's another part of the beauty of baseball that I really enjoy, like learning about, because really, 
every player has got a unique story, whether they come from, you know, your preppy California high school or from the Dominican Republic or Venezuela or, or something like that, where, you know, maybe it's less structured, but more talent. And you got to work harder to come out of there almost than you got to come out of California. So that's uh, all that stuff definitely interests me. Yeah. Uh, I think one of my favorite things about um, the NFL, I think it's easy to like players and um, really have an attachment for teams and players. And I think for me, learning about players that used to play, one of the best parts about that is NFL films and uh, football life more specifically. I would love to see like a baseball life series. I'm sure there are things like that and, you know, documentaries about individuals, but like uh, a series where they break down lots of these guys, Hall of Famers that, you know, you only hear stories about. Um, that's one of my favorite things to do as a football fan is to catch up on the lives of the guys that, you know, you hear about. And you said it, there's just everyone's got a story in baseball. Um, there's so many professional baseball players who just stay in the minor leagues and then they each have their crazy stories of how they got there, let alone the ones that get to the top. Um, I would love to see something, you know, like a baseball life where I could kind of really uh, go in detail to some of the lives of these, these baseball players. Well, that's on you, man. Get started. There's a, there's right, Pinewood sports networks, million dollar idea right out of the mouth <laughs> of, of Lucas Hoyt. Maybe we'll do that. Fingers crossed. Who knows? Yeah. yeah but we shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, no, that baseball is inherently a storytelling game. And I think that's why I enjoy broadcasting baseball more than other sports. We've got so much downtime. There's a lot of time in between pitches. A lot of people don't like that, but if you've got a good broadcaster that can tell a story and convey all these different stories, whether about whether it's about the players on the field currently or the players who had played in, in generations past, there are endless baseball stories to be told. And that's why I, you know, showing up to the baseball diamond every day to talk baseball and broadcast baseball, even if it's a blowout, there's no shortage of things to talk about. And that's kind of where I got this idea for our, our segment this week in baseball history. There's all sorts of crazy stuff that happens every single day in baseball history. I, I said it last week. I'll say it again here. What do you say? We, uh, we get to the segment here. Oh, absolutely. I definitely look forward uh, not to ending this, but a good way to cap off a, a good day of talking baseball. This day in 1923, Red Sox starter Howard Emke, no hits, the Philadelphia A's at Shive Park, 4 nothing. In the seventh inning, the 29-year-old right-hander appears to lose his bid for a no-hitter as Philadelphia pitcher Sam Harris hit a double, made it all the way to second base, stand up. He didn't touch first base. <laughs> and so he was tagged out and the no hitter remained intact. So Mr. Uh, Emke got his no hitter on this date in 1923. That is quite the asterisk. Cause what I was kind of thinking, um, there was a play a few years ago, you know, probably 20, 30 years ago. It was a line drive to the third baseman. It was a White Sox game and um, it looked like the third baseman made the play. And so the batter, you know, ropes it in the end thing. You just see the ball go in the glove, damn, whatever, heads back to the dugout. What the batter didn't know was that it went through the guy's glove into left field. There's a, the left fielder gets him out uh, at first. So it was a force out at first from the left fielder. 
um, that's kind of what I was thinking was going, you know, gets the base hit, you know, you're happy and just stops paying attention. And I guess, yeah, had him touch first and uh, comes back to bite him. But that is hilarious. Like you do give up a hit and you just kind of get really lucky that that's absolutely as lucky as you can get. The, the, the tough thing for Slim Harris, what a name, by the way, Slim <laughs> Harris, pitchers who rake Slim Harris. Frustrating thing for Mr. Harris is, if he would have touched first base and got thrown out at second base, that's a hit. That's a yeah. single. There goes yeah. the no-hitter. You broke up your counterpart's no-hitter. Like, how much fun is that? But instead, you forgot perhaps one of the most fundamental rules of the game, just to touch first. Yeah, we've seen that. That happened a few times this year, too, or at least once that I'm thinking of. Cabrian Hayes hit the home run against the Dodgers and didn't touch first. Um yeah, it seems like, yeah, literally like the easiest thing to do. People talk about missing home plate or missing first base. Just something, I guess, when you're professional, you do it hundreds and hundreds of times in a year that just seems so elementary and something you kind of forget. But not often that it uh, ruins your team's chance of getting even a hit that day or uh, kind of, guess, plays right into the hands of the no-hitter going against uh, against you. Absolutely. It's the little things that all add up to the big things. <laughs> My second selection and final for this week on September 7th, 1974, Greg Nettles stepped to the plate as a New York Yankee and he got an infield hit. His bat broke and exploded all over the infield from his bat came a bunch of super balls. (laughs) He was using a bat which was quote-unquote juiced with bouncy balls. Oh, my God. That's I like can't believe that. Game. How yeah, – the logistics of that, how do you even fit bouncy balls into a bat? Yeah, so you'd have to drill it out. First of all, you'd have to ask someone to drill the center of your bat out or just drill it yourself. And then you have to carry around a bag of – eight to ten bouncy balls probably bright pink and green um hope that nobody asks why you have them hope that nobody gets suspicious of the wood shavings falling out of your bat and um then find something to i guess plug it up on the end afterwards because otherwise you're just going to have a little you know hole at the end of your bat obviously showing some bouncy balls but yeah i've heard of cork bats never heard of bouncy ball the bats so, of course, everybody knows the Sammy Sosa cork bat incident. Right. He claimed that that was a bat he used during batting practice to put on a show for fans. Greg's excuse was that a fan in Chicago gave him this bat, which contained these bouncy balls, and he didn't realize the bat was doctored, of course, until he got a broken bat and field hit single. And then Tigers catcher Bill Fian picked up seven bouncy balls. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a pretty bad excuse. I mean, you, I don't think anyone would believe that someone would just get a random bat from a fan, expect it to be, you know, league acceptable, and then just use it as your in-game bat. So that's pretty far-fetched, but credit to him for at least trying that out. It takes a lot of balls to try putting bouncy balls in your bat, and maybe even takes a little bit more balls to try and make that excuse. That, uh, that might make the Hall of Fame of weird baseball events. We got to start that. I think um, definitely the potato in a live game yeah. <laughs> can make that from last week's episode. And then maybe 
uh, the goose getting killed. Oh, I, I didn't tell this story on the podcast. I told it during a rivets game, but uh, a Yankees player in the, I think late eighties or early nineties, he killed a pigeon warming up and he was charged with animal cruelty in Canada. <laughs> this was, this happened in Montreal and they charged him and it was like this big, big deal. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Like Randy Johnson, like threw a ball. No. So like stuff. this guy was an outfielder um, rather than a pitcher. So they thought he did it on purpose, but he maintained that he didn't do it on purpose. And uh-huh. eventually, I mean, he didn't have to serve any sort of jail time or anything, but it was kind of a big deal up there to yeah. those French Canadians, I guess. They're, they're big fans of pigeons. <laughs> that is hilarious. That, that's like the most insightful segment like I could possibly imagine. It's a good thing we put that at the end of the show because you're getting all the knowledge right at the very end. That's like – I like that segment, Larry. I think we have a few uh, noteworthy moments already. Like you said, the potato, Super Bowl, that is hilarious. Yes, it's uh... – all sorts of weird stuff happens in the game of baseball. Like, and what other sport does stupid stuff like this happen? It just, it doesn't straight up. Yeah, seriously. Larry, I think I, I got more in touch with my connection with the sport of baseball today. Yes. I, I, I fell in love with the game again. Yes. It was a very wholesome end of the podcast. Yeah. You know, talking Albert Pujols, talking about who's the real home run king, talking about baseball players as athletes. What a way to what a way to finish. Yeah, it was a fun episode for sure. I mean, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Seriously. Hey, and by the way, if you're listening to this, you can be a baseball player, too. You can do it. Follow your dreams. Now's not too late. If you're 26 listening to this, go to a go to a game and try the little pitch speed thing. Maybe someone will sign you. It's happened before. Hey, Bradley University is holding baseball tryouts tomorrow evening. Um, I will not be in attendance, but any Bradley students listening, head on down to Dozer Park. There's your chance. Doors yeah. open. You never know when it might open for you. I'll have to toss a mustache on and uh, see if I can break 70 on the radar. Gun. <laughs> Lucas, I, I don't even know if you did that in high school, man. Yeah, that's why it'll be a big if. E4. <laughs> Second base. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, back right, back right. in our zenith. Yeah, we got to wrap things up before we get too <laughs> oh, man. Ugly talking about my high school career. That's about as bad as it gets. No kidding. Had a lot of fun as always. Uh, like we mentioned, a nice, relaxing, wholesome episode today. Uh, definitely hope you guys enjoyed week six of the Hit by Pod. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith, as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run.